What if one day your past version of yourself stands right in front of you, staring right in your face? How will you react? What if the same version reminds you of your either dead relationships or ongoing ones? For Emily Gindelsbarger, the idea of opening up her 8-year relationship was terrifying. Even considering it sent her into a tailspin of jealousy, anxiety, and self-doubt. But by saying yes to an open relationship, Emily realized that she could say yes to a new adventure, one in which she could explore desires and versions of herself she previously kept hidden that led her to pen down her journey, discovering an assertive and impulsive side that wanted to take risks. Another side of herself that is still timid and shamed that shrank from uncomfortable conversations. Also an insatiable side, one that hungered for others to love her more than she knew how to love herself in her recently published book, Please Make Me Love Me. Hello and welcome to this special episode. I'm your host Mithali Uhuri and today we will be joined by the amazing and very beautiful Emily Gindelsparkle. Emily, welcome to Self Talk Show. First of all, I would like to say that I'm very grateful to you for choosing Self Talk Show to discuss your wonderful book and your life journey. Also very honored to have you as guest speaker on my show. Second of all, many many congratulations to you on your recent book. Please make me love me. I'm sure your book would give many people the courage to be open to their past versions, accept it and learn from it. So Emily, would you like to tell us about your professional background and what inspired you to come up with this amazing book and what's the significance of your book title? I am Emily Gindelsberger. I'm a ghostwriter and book coach at Scribe Media, which is a professional publisher. And so previous to writing this book and while I was writing this book, I was working consistently with authors, helping them understand their book ideas, helping them mine the depth in their stories when they were writing about themselves. And I was really honestly inspired by all the people that I worked with. I'd written professionally for over a decade, but it was, you know, magazine work and journal articles and um and ghostwriting books for other people with other people's ideas. And this was the first time that I really turned those skills onto myself and decided to tell my own story. And the reason I decided to do that was that I had been going through a really tumultuous time in my life with several different concurrent romantic relationships and I'd really made a mess of things. <laughs> um I'd really increased the complexity of the relationships in my life and was struggling to deal with having multiple partners to care for at the same time and I was struggling figuring out how to care for myself at the same time. And so I started writing this book really as a way to to try to start untangling all of that and understand myself. And my writing practice at first was not for the intention of publishing a book or sharing this story widely. It was for the intention of just spending some time each day sitting with myself exploring my past and understanding what meaning I was making of it. And then when I was done with the draft, I really hoped that something else could come of this story. I had gotten so much benefit from writing it, so much benefit from taking that time to sit with myself that I thought I can't be the only other one in this 
kind of situation. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only person who's tried to run three romantic relationships at the same time. And, you know, maybe I'm the only person with circumstances exactly like mine. But I knew that within my specific circumstances was something more universal about being human, something about how we connect to other people, something about how we choose partners to have in our lives and what that means about how we express love for ourselves and for others. And so I decided to start shaping this story to share, and that was what eventually became the book. The title came to me uh, <laughs> in fits and starts. I, I came up with several different titles that I really liked, uh, but that didn't ultimately fit the book that I was writing. You know, one, for example, was The Secret Keeper's Guide to Telling the Truth, because I the the main sort of drama of my story hinges on all of these times when I really struggled to talk honestly about what was going on inside of myself. And so I thought that was a fitting title, but really that's a fitting title for a narrower story about why we keep secrets. This was a bigger story about how I was talking to myself and how I was trying to really learn to live with myself with compassion and then extend that compassion and love out to my partners and so after a while that original title just really started to not fit and I was gardening one day I was in my backyard pulling weeds and trying to think of alternate titles and this this title just popped into my head make me love me it didn't have the please on it at first it was just make me love me and as soon as those words came across my mind I was like this is stupid <laughs> I hate that idea I don't ever want that to be the uh, the title of my book um, it just felt so desperate and so raw and so crude honestly and I was embarrassed by it <laughs> um, but of course anytime that a title punches you in the gut like that you have to pay attention and so even though I had totally disregarded this title as like, I hate this option. I don't, I don't want this to be the title of my book. I still took that title to my mentor, uh, Tucker Max, who really helped me shape this story and, and figure out how to tell it in the world. And as soon as I said, you know, I've been thinking of this title, it's make me love me. I really don't like it. He just goes, oh, no, that has to be the title. And what would make it even, what really would put the cherry on top is please. Right, just this this quiet desperation in the word please. And once, you know, we kind of both pieced that together, I realized this is absolutely the perfect title for my book. And I've now grown to love it. I think it really speaks to a lot of people who find themselves in the same situation I was in, which was like I was just reaching everywhere for the love that I was so struggling to give to myself. And I wanted my partners to validate me. I wanted my partners to somehow save me from myself. Um, and in the end, of course, no one else can do that for us but ourselves. And the book really is my story of, of learning how to do that. That's absolutely true, Emily. Nobody can actually do it for you. We have to ultimately find ourselves and find that internal love for our own self. And in my opinion, your book title is actually pretty amazing because it gives readers a gist about your book and that's very important. It's a perfect sync with your story. What was it like to face your past all over again while documenting your journey? What internal dialogues were you having back then? 
What emotion process did you go through? I had such a vicious internal dialogue, uh, which is documented, I think, pretty accurately and honestly in the book. I nicknamed this voice Radio K, which is an idea I stole from Ann Patchett. She talks about how there are all these different voices in your head. They're like various radio stations. And the one that is in your head that's just constantly criticizing you all day and trying to beat you down and telling you nasty things about yourself, she called that Radio K-Fuck. And so I co-opted that and, uh, and just called the voice in my head Radio K. And Radio K is the one who just... Uh, sits in this corner of my brain and narrates the events of my life to me through like the most self-deprecating critical lens possible. He's very snarky and sarcastic and tells jokes, but the jokes are never funny (laughs) because they all feel terrible. And that was the voice that dominated my attention for honestly most of my adult life. I've really felt that voice start to turn on strongly when I was a teenager, and it just never left me. And so that voice told me things like, you'll never be loved. Or, you know, these people that you have in your life that you're building relationships with, you don't actually love them. You're just using them. That voice told me so many nasty things. And, And the thing is, in a self-critical voice like that, you know, I could always trace it back to like, well, logically, maybe that's true, right? Like, maybe it is true that I am bringing people into my life because I don't know how I feel about love and I don't know how to navigate it and I want these people to help teach me. Like, that is a truth. But that's not the same as deliberately manipulating and using people. Um, And so trying to find this balance of like, What's the compassionate version of what he's telling me, what Radio K is telling me? What is the way that I can learn to listen to the parts of myself that also know I'm trying my best and, you know, that I'm human and that I'm faltering and um, and how do I recover from those things without beating myself up? And so the journey of trying to rebalance those voices in my head was really a huge theme of this book. And honestly, those voices in my head continued even as I was writing. You know, when I write about what Radio K said to me, he didn't just say it to me back then in my memory. He was saying those things to me as I was sitting in my desk or at my desk in my office writing this book. And um, there was this magical effect that happened when I actually let Radio K speak and watched those words appear on the face on the screen in front of me it was like it, it went from an internalized voice to an externalized one and suddenly i could see all these things that he was saying to me and see how ridiculous and inaccurate and incomplete they were and especially because i had some distance by that time between the events i was actually writing about and where i was at in my life it was easier than every time that voice came up to just write down what it said and then sit back and think okay who else is here inside my head to talk me through this who else wants to weigh in and i eventually discovered that there was this other consistent voice that would weigh in and it was very soft and very quiet and gentle 
And anything that it said was always designed for love and peace. <laughs> I mean, that sounds so so trite to to just say it simply like that, but but truly everything that that quiet voice said had my best interest in mind and understood me and my motivations and still knew how to exercise discernment, right? Like that compassionate voice didn't let me off the hook for bad behavior, which I had plenty of and write about that in the book. But that compassionate voice did help me understand where my bad behavior was coming from and understand which parts of me needed to be loved and that those parts were rebelling. <laughs> Rebel, uh, yeah, they were rebelling and trying to figure out how to be heard, right? And so the practice of writing this book was really a practice of learning to listen to other voices. And by the time I was done writing and then editing this book, I had like the balance of voices in my head is completely different now. That compassionate voice is almost always in the forefront. It is still really quiet. It doesn't speak very loudly to me. And that's, you know, that's kind of a benefit because it helps me slow down and, and get quiet to listen. Um, but Radio K isn't the first one who jumps in anymore. He's still there. And when he does show up, he's easier to recognize. But it's really that compassionate voice that speaks to me most of the time. I can imagine what it must have been like. Our critical inner voice really pulls us down and at the same time it makes us realize that this is not me. I have been learning and growing. Making mistakes doesn't make me a bad person. It is important to recognize that compassionate, gentle voice to help us find oneself as you did, which was really amazing of you. What part of your book did you have the hardest time writing? There were several parts of this book that were very hard to write. Um, the chapters that stick out to me most are the chapters that I called The Worst Lie I Ever Told, Part 1, and then The Worst Lie I Ever Told, Part 2. They were two different lies in terms of the content, but they were times when I should have said something clearly and directly to my partner that was in front of me, and I hid the truth because I was scared. And it's, it was really hard for me to go back to those moments because it was hard for me to understand why I had hid. I can see it now. I can see clearly how I was afraid of losing connection with my partner in that moment. And so the lie was like just this temporary bridge to try to get me through that moment. And I figured I would tell the truth later, which is, uh, is just a terrible way to operate, right? Like if the bridge is flimsy, it's going to break uh, at some point, no matter how far you're able to get across it. And that's what happened in both of those cases. The lie did not hold for very long. And I saw not only the truth come crashing down on me, but I also saw my uh, my intention to deceive and manipulate at the forefront. Deceive and manipulate because I was so scared of losing connection. And going back to those scenes, I mean, even just thinking about it now, I'm, I am quaking a little inside. It's, um, it is hard to hold those parts of myself and not want to change them, not want to try to hide from the parts of myself that are hiding <laughs> and, and to be really honest about 
how I am when I'm in that kind of situation, right? Like this impulse in me to uh, to try to uphold connection in the moment at all costs, no matter whether that moment's going to break because a deeper truth is going to be revealed later. Like that's still an impulse that's always, I think, going to be inside of me. It's a pretty human impulse. And so it's not like I used to lie and now I am better. I, I really have to keep an eye on that part of myself that wants to hide. And I have to continually remind myself that she's there and she needs care and love and attention so that the other parts that are more in integrity with me and how I want to show up in my partnerships so that those parts of me can be the ones that act <laughs> instead of this part of me that wants to hide. Um, so going back to those memories and trying to really get as detailed as I can about what that looked like and felt like, it just took me straight back to that state. It took me straight back into that version of myself. And I still find it hard to be with that version of myself. But the more that I practice, the better I'm getting. And I'm now to a point where I don't hide so much anymore. Um, the consequence is that when I need to tell a truth that I am afraid will hurt someone, I do still shake. <laughs> like all the same impulses are there. But I can... I know how to hold myself through the shaking and I know how to get the words out even when I'm afraid and that is much more the way that I want to be in my partnerships and so that's what I keep practicing. I completely agree. Practicing and repetitions really help in this process of self-growth and self-transformation. Opening up about your past takes a lot of guts and courage and trust me, you are one of the most courageous person I've ever come across. So how did you convince yourself to pen down the same? Were you hit by any negative self-talks or procrastination thinking, nah, this is not a good idea, or maybe I should try it later? There were many times when I thought, this book is a terrible idea, and I should stop. <laughs> I should just stop <laughs> everything. Um, sometimes that applied to what I was writing on a given day, you know, those chapters I just referenced that were so hard to go back to, I stopped in the middle of those several different times. And um, my antidote to that was just to bounce to some other part of the book, some other scene that was a little easier to access until I had gained the courage to r recover that scene and go back to it. But on a bigger level, there were several, like three distinct times where I had a complete manuscript in front of me. The book was done. I'd gotten feedback that it was a, a good book and the story was working well. And I still thought, nope, not going to do this. <laughs> uh, I really, really struggled with indecision in large part because when it came time to think about sharing this story, I also had to come to grips with the fact that I would be sharing not just my stories, but I would be sharing parts of other people's stories. And, you know, there are boundaries there and other people's stories are not always my story to tell. And so I had to get really clear about what's my part of the story that I can own and feel okay releasing publicly and what parts of these stories don't only belong to me and really should remain private to honor the people that were in them. 
And for the most part, I bridged that gap by staying deeply inside my own internal experience. I had a really clear guideline for myself that I was not to write anything about how other people felt inside of themselves or what their motivations were or what my ideas about their internal state was. I really worked hard to reserve all of that and just stick with what do I see what do I feel? What do I know just within myself? And I wrote the book from that place. And at the same time, I had to have a lot of conversations with people that appear in the book uh, and, and navigate that territory interpersonally and really understand, too, that not everyone is going to feel comfortable with this story. Not all readers are going to feel comfortable with this story. And I have to learn how I'm going to be okay with that if if my goal is to publish. And I almost gave up on that quest. I almost thought, no, I don't have to be okay with that. I can just keep living in this fantasy of uh, I'm going to try to keep everybody <laughs> pleased with me <laughs> and and not do anything that other people will dislike. But it was more than just a question about the book. To tackle that problem, it was it was like a question about how am I going to live the rest of my life? Am I going to really uh, curtail my behavior or my desires or things that I want to do because I'm afraid of other people disliking me, or am I going to find some tools to stay by my own side and continue to support myself through the emotional experience of? other people disliking me. <laughs> um, you know, learning how to navigate that, I think, has really helped me mature and and become a lot more steady in myself in the course of releasing this book. Right. What were your key learnings from your past? I learned so much from this story that it's hard to pinpoint the lessons that were most important. I feel like this story actually continues to teach me new lessons as time goes on and as more people read it and I see others' reflections of what's important in this story to them and how they're folding it into their lives or how it's reflecting on their lives. I think one of the biggest learnings was kind of what I described earlier that I have learned how to stay by my own side in a way that I didn't know how to before. I have learned to take the time that I need to write, to meditate, to get quiet so that I can listen to that inner voice of compassion. And that's time that I, not, I used to not give myself before. And now I understand that that kind of time and that kind of attention to the inside of me is is really critical for me. I, it's, uh, it's a non-negotiable in my day. And when I stray away from this practice of meditating, sitting with myself, asking myself how I am and what I want, I see pretty immediate consequences in my life. <laughs> like I see pretty immediate ways that I, you know, cross my own boundaries or overextend myself or agree to things that I don't actually want to do or that aren't actually, um, aren't actually driven by me. And those things all drain energy. And so the more that I have learned to attend to myself, the more that I've learned to build a life that's really aligned with how I want to spend my time and my energy and my attention. Those are some brilliant learnings, Emily. What challenges did you face while writing your book? 
Did it also question your current beliefs? I faced so many challenges writing this story. Primarily that as a professional writer, I made an assumption early on, a false assumption, that the hard part of writing this story was going to be the writing. And that was far from the hard part. (laughs) Um, The writing, like if I were to boil down just the time that I spent actually physically working on the manuscript, writing and editing, it was probably done in, I don't know, six months, eight months. I think that's the amount of actual hard, real work that I did on it. But the process of writing, editing, and then going on to publish this book took me three years. And that's because I I realized I had to build in what I now call emotional time for writing. (laughs) The writing wasn't just about the time that I spend in front of my computer typing. The writing was also about all the time that I need to process what comes up, to sit with those memories, to understand how I feel about them. And, And so there were many times that I had to take big breaks away from writing, not because I didn't want to write, but because I... I needed to go through some emotional, um, I needed some emotional resolution so that I could show up to the page the way that I wanted to, so that I could show up in my own agency, show up with a clear mind, show up ready to really fully look at the scene that I was writing about. And I could always tell when I wasn't fully clear and centered in that kind of space. I would show up and the writing would just be really wacky. You know, some scenes, the initial drafts came out almost like they were police reports. It was just action, 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 stated plainly with no emotion, no, no, nothing to help evoke what was really going on. And that, that reflected the level of, of depth that I was able to go into those memories at the time. You know, some of those memories were hard to touch. And so at first I had to touch them on purely objective terms and then step back and take some time to let myself think and feel and put myself through the sort of range of motion in my feelings so that I could understand that those emotions I feel in this scene are not hurting me. And it was that emotional time that helped me develop the capacity to feel the whole range of emotions that I had in any given memory and the trust to know that I could go into those places and care well for myself and be okay. And so, you know, that tripled the amount of time that it actually took to write, but it was a process that was well worth it because now I have all those skills that I can use throughout my life, not just for writing, but for any experience that I'm going through. How did your professional experience help you in writing your memoir? Though I've been a professional ghostwriter and book coach for years now, uh, what I kept telling my authors during this time that I was writing my book was like, look at me, I have all the knowledge that I need about how this works and what happens. And, you know, I've seen literally hundreds of authors go through this process. I've helped them along the way and, and held their hand through every stage. I know everything there is to know about this. But knowledge does not ever save us from the experience of actually living it. And it's from the knowledge and the experience that we develop our wisdom. So I really feel like before this book, I was knowledgeable. And after writing this book, I am wise, or at least wiser. (laughs) 
in in these particular regards and and wiser in the process of what it means to write and share your story and all of that knowledge again was like it was book learning that i had on paper and it was experience that i had with coaching other people observing others and watching them and knowing what was going to work and the very same things did work for me but i also had to build in again that emotional time to learn how to feel all of the things that come up even as i'm making the right choice along the book journey true i'm sure many aspiring authors and writers would love to hear a piece of advice from a best selling author like yourself so what do you like to share the same if there's one piece of advice i would offer to other people who want to write about their story hmm i i think it would be to stay as close to each moment as you can i wrote my first draft of the book really like summarizing my story more than showing my story there's an old writing trope about you know always show don't tell and i was doing a lot of telling i was explaining what my life looked like i was explaining the internal experience and all my feelings i was able to put name to them but i wasn't yet describing what did those things feel like in the actual moments that they happened And so I sent that first draft that had a lot of telling and explaining to uh Tucker, my mentor and editor, and he pointed out like, "Hey, there is so much distance here. Like we are not we as your readers, we're not in this with you." And I was then able to like that was just an aha moment, right? Like everything that I have written down about what I believed in that time or what I experienced in that time I really challenged myself to pin each one of those observations to the specific moment that it happened. And I sat down and I would I started developing a meditation practice as the prelude to my writing practice. So I would sit on the floor of my office and close my eyes and watch my breathing and listen to my body. And then I would take myself back to the memory that I was going to write about and press pause for a moment and see if i could put myself in that same space in my mind and look around and really take in everything that's around me and look at the person in front of me and really take in what do i see in their posture on their face how are they holding themselves in their hands you know what's the tone of their voice really take in all that detail and then it was after i was able to really anchor in all of that detailed memory that I would turn to the task of writing. And I just did that moment by moment and what I found was that sometimes the things that I explained about what I believed in that time like um you know if I thought that a partner was upset with me let's say and then I go back to that memory and I really think through what was the moment where I thought that happened and what did it look like and how did it feel and what did I see in them usually it was actually much more complex than that. and maybe they weren't upset maybe they were sad or maybe they were also afraid just like i was afraid and it was only by going to the actual memory that i could start to challenge those beliefs about like what did i what did i think happened what did i tell myself about what was going on in this moment and i actually learned oh no there's you know sometimes those beliefs have broken down and sometimes there's a whole different reality that was there in that moment for me um that i can fully absorb now because i've slowed down and and gone looking for it so really staying 
in a specific moment to show how did that part of your life turn out? How did that part of your life go second by second? That's really when the story gets interesting. Wow, that's a wonderful piece of advice. Any message you have for our listeners? I think what all of this boils down to is that for me, the writing practice was a, a journey to learning how to pay attention to myself with loving kindness. It didn't always feel loving and it didn't always feel kind, right? Some days I would sit down at my desk and Radio K was the only thing I could hear. But it was the practice of doing that over and over and over again that finally helped me develop the flexibility with my emotions and develop the capacity to sit through whatever was coming my way and know that I was still safe. I was still in my home. I was still surrounded by love and comfort. And to be able to return to memories that were scary and hard from this position of I'm safe and comfortable. <laughs> it's, it's a really beautiful gift. And I think anyone who explores their own story in this way, anyone who writes memoir, we're really doing self-therapy on ourselves. And I think it's a pretty effective form as long as I remember to bring my sense of compassion along for the ride. And I don't let a single voice dominate my mind. I really take the time to listen to all of them. That's when the writing feels really good. That's a wonderful message, Emily. Thank you for your time. It was lovely having you on the show. Head on to Amazon to grab your copy of Emily's recently published book, Please Make Me Love Me. Find the link in the episode description. So with this, we come to an end of this episode. Hope you liked it and the feedback would definitely do wonders. I would really appreciate it if you can subscribe to Self Talk Show. More episodes and more awareness is coming your way, so stay tuned and keep self-talking. You can reach out to me for questions, queries or suggestions at www.selftalkshow.com or email me at showselftalk at gmail.com or through social media pages on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Thank you again and see you with another episode.